good to be with you here today. Good to see some of you that are just coming back from vacation. I hope you had a great vacation. Uh, as you've been gone, we've been going through this series of sermons and the letters that the, Apol- the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Thessalonica. We've done the first letter, and we're about to wrap the second letter next weekend. So today is uh, next to the last sermon. And I'm going to finish today the passage that we started last week. Or last week we talked about uh, the judgment day of God and the implications of that for us. And that chapter, the Apostle Paul ends, wraps everything up with a prayer. That's what we're going to focus on today. It's a short passage, just two verses. Uh, this prayer in light of all of his teachings on the, uh, the judgment day. So I want to invite you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're just going to read verses 11 and 12. So will you follow the reading of Scripture along with me? This is what the Word of God says. Closing words of chapter 1. To this end, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. In the uh, famous blockbuster movie, Saving Private Ryan, which is, by the way, one of my favorite movies, uh, we have the story there of a platoon of soldiers in World War II that go into, uh, through the enemy defense lines in order to rescue a private by the name of Ryan. And the reason for that platoon to be given that mission is because uh, Ryan's three other brothers had died in the same war, and in order to spare their parents of another grievance, uh, they are commanded to go and rescue Ryan and bring him safely back home. Spoiler alert, the platoon is successful in the endeavors and in the efforts, And at the end of the movie, after almost the whole platoon had died in that effort, uh, Colonel Miller, who's played by uh, Tom Hanks, has a conversation with Ryan. As he's dying after a fierce battle had uh, been fought, he is leaning against the wheels of a tank, and he says this to Ryan. Remember the words? Earn this earn this. I was always puzzled by those words because the battle had been won, it was over, and the mission had been accomplished. Nothing was left to be done in the completion of that mission, and yet he still looks Ryan in the eyes and says, earn it, earn it. Until this week, as I was studying this passage, I was able to connect that which he intended to communicate to Ryan in the movie with the words of the Apostle Paul here to the church in Thessalonica. As I said, the Apostle Paul ends this chapter with a prayer to the church. In that prayer, he expresses his deep desire for them. In light of everything that they had learned, in light of everything that the Apostle Paul had taught them. In fact, the first words that we read were, to this end, after the Apostle Paul finishes this body of teaching, he says, to this end. 
If in fact Jesus will return and we will spend eternity with him in a redeemed and completely restored creation, if that is our future, and if that future has come to us in an undeserving manner, we did not earn it, we did not fight for it, it has come to us in that way. This is my desire for you. I pray for you so that this would be manifested in your life. The desire of the Apostle Paul for that church expressed in his prayer is also reflected in Jesus' desire for his disciples as the gospel of John is coming to an end. Before going to the cross, Jesus is with his disciples and he expresses the same desire to his disciples. Is that they would live a life that would be reflective of the salvation that had come to them. That's why the apostle Paul says to them, look, this is my prayer to you that our God may make you worthy, earn it, make you worthy of his calling and that may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power in your life. That is Paul's desire for that church. That is Jesus' desire for all of his disciples and his followers. If you are not able to pick up your cross and follow him, you are not worthy to be his disciples, Jesus says that. And it is my prayer for you, my prayer for us. We're about to start the fall semester. Some of you are going to school tomorrow. Some of you are going to school, starting school this week. Some of you are starting a business this semester. Some of you are getting married. I know that some people are getting married this fall because I'm doing some of those weddings. And some of you... Uh, are uh, starting here at Crossbridge fresh, and some of us here at Crossbridge are starting new initiatives and new ministries. There's a lot of challenges that you'll hear about, not opportunities that God is granting us as we move into the fall semester. And my prayer to you, for you, my, in, my prayer of intercession for you is that you will live a life worthy of the calling that you have receive. That's the idea for today's sermon. And in light of that, we're going to ask three questions, obviously. Obviously, we always ask three questions, except for last Sunday, we asked two questions, uh, but we had communion. And so today we ask three questions. And the first question is, what is this calling that he is talking about? What, what's the meaning of this calling? Uh, then secondly, we're going to ask a second question. What does it mean to live a life worthy of this calling? So we're going to understand the calling first, and then what does it mean to live a life worthy of this calling? And, and then lastly, obviously, very practical, how do we live a life worthy of this calling? How's my mic, Trent? Is it popping? Okay, good, thanks. First, what is this called? Let's take a look at the call. Uh, but as we take a look at the call, it's very important that we first understand who is the one who issues the call, because the call comes from somewhere. Where's the call being issued from? I don't know if you paid attention to this. Go back to verse 11, the first verse that we read, and he says, look, 
that our God may make you worthy of his calling. His calling. Who issues the call? God is the one who issues the calling. The calling that we have received was a call that was issued by God. Because in the Bible, there's this principle that salvation comes from God. And if you are a Christian, if you are a professing believer, if you're someone that has come to faith in Jesus Christ at any particular moment in time in your life, you have been called by God into fellowship with him. Now, I know that in the moment that you became a Christian, you thought that you were making a decision for Jesus. And in fact, you were. You made a choice to follow Jesus. But before you made the choice, there was a call issued for you. You did not come to him unless you responded to the call that he had issued to you. While were you thinking that you were the one that came to him, he had come to you before that. That's what Jesus says to his disciples in John 15. Look at what Jesus says, the famous words of Jesus. In John 15, Jesus says this. Look, look at what the Bible says. Enough cues. All right. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, that your fruit should remain, should be reflected and be permanent in your life. You did not choose me, but I was the one that chose you. God is the one who saves. Salvation is from the Lord. He is the one who has issued the call. That's very important for us to establish as we move into understanding what this call is all about. Now, what did he call us to? I'm going to get into that. But if you are a Christian, you have heard this call at some particular moment in your life. You heard the words of the Savior say to you, come you burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You were in a particular moment in time in your life, the penny dropped, you understood that there was more love and grace and mercy in him, that there was sin in you and you responded to that call. You sensed his love moving in your direction. You were compelled by the way in which he showed you grace and mercy. If you are a Christian, you know that moment that you have experienced in life. And if you have have it, I pray that you will experience that. Even today, I, am, I, I believe it's possible that God will call some of you that have never been called before today, that you would realize that the Savior is the one who invites you in. And it's so compelling that you cannot resist this call that has been issued to you. But calling to what? Uh, when we read the Apostle Paul's letters, not just the letter that he writes to the church in Thessalonica, but the other letters that he writes to all the other churches in Galatia, in, in, in Rome, in Colossae, in Philippi. When we read Paul's letters, he is always talking about what this calling is to, where from and where to we have been called. So uh, we find, for instance, that we've been called from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light. The, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2. Peter reinforces that in his second, in his first letter in chapter 2, verse 9. We were called uh, from death to life. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans 6, verses 12 through 13. Uh, in the Gospel of John, it is very clear that we were called from a life of bondage and slavery into a life of freedom because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We were called from a life far away from God, distance from God, to a life in proximity to God, to a life with intimacy with God, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2.13. I'm not going to read these verses. Uh, if you have the 
the Crossbridge app. My notes are there. You can go and read these verses. They're printed there. You can take this further. But that is what we've been called from and into. We've been called from underneath the domain of the principalities of this world into the domain of Jesus, into the kingdom of Jesus, into the family of God, where God chooses to bless and to provide, where all the benefits of Christ have been available to us because it is through Jesus that we have been brought into this family. And this is how the Apostle Paul frames it as a worthy calling. We think that God uh, didn't have to sacrifice anything in order to invite us in, that he has such a big house, and he does, and such a vast spread that he can afford to invite anyone in, and it has come uh, from him to us at no sacrifice because he has so much to give. But when we understand uh, this invitation, this calling, which, by the way, is also referred to the Apostle Paul as good news. This is a good news that has come to us. The good news, the gospel, is a calling that has come into our life. It did not come to us in a costless way. It was extremely costly for that invitation to be issued to us because one insider, Jesus Christ, the one begotten Son of God, had to give up his place in order for us to be brought in, in order for you and I to become insiders, to be transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus had to face the darkness that we deserve so that we can get the light that is his and of the Father. It is extremely costly. And I think that this is very important that we understand this because that's what it means to live a life worthy of a call that is worthy. Because as we begin to understand that, we begin to understand the purpose by which we were transported from one reality to the other, from one domain to the other. Why did he do that for us? You know, the, the Latin word that appears here in the passage, obviously the passage was written in Greek. This letter is written in Greek. Later on, it's translated into Latin. The Greek word for calling here when it's translated first into Latin, to the Septuagint, is the word vocatio. Vocatio. From where we get the word vocation. That's how we see ourselves primarily in the world of today. Our identity in this world and in this culture is extremely tied to our vocation, to our work. Just think about the conversations that you have with people, the people that you get to meet. Usually the first question in a conversation between strangers when they meet in a ballroom or they meet in a bar or in an office space or in a business transaction or in a playground is, what is your name? That's the first question that we usually ask each other when we get to meet each other. The second question is what? What do you do? It's very important to us what we do because our value is attached to our work. It's through our work, it's through your work that you live your life trying to justify your existence, that you matter. If you ask somebody, what are you here in this world to do? They will share with you, number one, their vocation, their vocaccio. They will say, I am here to heal people. That's why I became a doctor. 
I am here in this world to defend people. That's why I have become a lawyer. I have gone into law enforcement. I am here in this world to share the word of God. That's why I have become a pastor. That's why I live. That's why I exist. That's why I wake up in the morning. And while that is correct, while that is right, because there is this belief that God has wired you in a specific and unique way to facilitate the flourishing of all of humanity, that is not your primary vocation if you are a Christian. When you become a Christian, you receive a new vocation that overarches all the other vocations that you have in life. And if you don't believe me, just go back to the text and read verse 12. The Apostle Paul says this, I want you to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying God has in fact given you a vocation. Maybe some of you have received the vocation of being a married person to build a family. Some of you have received the calling or the vocation of being a celibate person. And maybe God is reminding you right now that that is your vocation. Don't try to change that vocation. Some of you are like, please, please let not this be my vocation. Um, but that, that could be your vocation. And maybe God has wired you. Maybe God has given you a calling to, in fact, heal people and to help people thrive physically. And, and some of you uh, to defend people that uh, need representation, representation in a courtroom. And, and maybe that is your vocation and you find great fulfillment in that. But above that, there is the vocation to live your life to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That is what the uh, shorter catechism of the Westminster Confe uh, Confession of Faith tells us and teaches us is it starts with that primary question, why were we created? To enjoy God and to glorify him forever. That is your main vocation. It's a new vocation that you have received. You were called to that life. You were called to live this way. And that's why the Apostle Paul later to another church, the church in Corinth in chapter 10, verse 31, he says, therefore we are called to do all things for the glory of God. It is because of that that the uh, reformer Martin Luther says that even the woman that milks the cows, her fingers are the fingers of God if she is living out of that primary vocation to glorify God and to enjoy him in that which you do. You enjoy that which you do. You feel called to do what you do. Bring that under the primary vocation that we have and you have received. That is the meaning of the call. Now, how do we live a life worthy of this call? This call that reminds us that we have received a new and overarching vocation, this call that is costly, this call that in the first place has been issued by God to us to bring us from one domain to another, a domain of hopelessness into a domain of hope. How do we live our lives worthy of his calling in our lives? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. I'll tell you what this does not mean. 
Uh, many of us are familiar with the passages uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he uses this term interchangeably in the other letters. And he says, I want you to live a life worthy of God. I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord. I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel and a life worthy of the calling. At a surface level, if you were to read a verse of scripture of that nature that would say something like that to you, your initial understanding would be, oh man, what this means is that I have to earn my salvation. That unless I put in effort, unless I put in works, unless I live a life that is characterized by a good performance, I am not going to earn God's favor. I will not have my prayers answered. I will not go to heaven when I die. Many of us have this wrongful understanding that has been preached to us by religion, by religion. Even the Christian religion falls short of what I'm about to tell you, that when we die, we get to face the Lord and he asks us, and he will ask us, why should I let you in? And you would say, well, because I've done so much good work and, and, and I have a surplus. And God says, oh yeah, you have a surplus. Well, maybe I should let you in because you do have a surplus of works. That's not at all what this passage is saying. If this passage was saying that, it would come into contradiction of what Paul teaches in other passages like Romans 2 and Romans 3, that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. It's not by our works so that we can boast. It's very clear there in Scripture. So it can't be that. What does it mean, therefore? Uh, the, the word uh, for worth uh, which is here uh, in this passage is a word and a word that is connected to this idea in the ancient world of balancing the scales, balancing the scales. It's the word axiom, where we get the word axol from and many other words that come from that Greek word. But it's this idea that uh, when the axle is straight, and not tilted, the scale is balanced. That the same amount of weight on one side is present on the other side. Uh, and I want you to understand this. That a person uh, who is worthy is a person that is receiving a salary that is commensurate with the amount of work and the skill sets and the quality of the work that they perform. When somebody is getting overpaid, the scales are not balanced. They're not being worthy. This is the idea here of the passage. And someone that is worthy of this calling that we talked about is a person that demonstrates to the way in which they live their lives the weight of the calling that they have received and professed faith in. You get what I'm trying to say here? Are, are you with me, church? I wish I had a church that I could preach to right now. All right? Are, are, you, are you with me? Are you with me here? Do you understand what we are talking about? Let's go back to this image of the scale. Say that's one side of the scale. You have knowledge. Now, the knowledge of our salvation is weighty, right? It's weighty. When you really ponder and think about it, it's weighty. And there are people that have that knowledge of that salvation. But on the other side, there's no weight. <laughs> Let's say you don't put a weight on the other side of the scale. The knowledge takes that plate all the way down through the force of gravity, which consequently 
because there's no way to balance on the other side. That plate goes flying up on the other side of the scale. There's a lot of Christians that know a lot, that have a big mouth, but really short, atrophiated hands. That's what he's talking about here. That's what James teaches us, that faith without works is dead. But then on the other side, even though there are people with a deep, weighty knowledge of the faith, which by the way connects to this idea of glory because the word glory here in the Bible is weight. That's what glory is. Glory is weight. Now, there are people on the other side that have no knowledge of their salvation, but they have a lot of weight in all the good things that they do. The weight of their works is pressing things down and is throwing the other plate of knowledge up. What's the problem with these two lifestyles on the both extremes of things? One is trying to earn their salvation through the a sense of worthiness through the performance that they exercise and showcase. And the other one doesn't understand truly the weight of the salvation. Therefore, it's not demonstrated in their lives. And we must not be one or the other, a life filled with works, but no knowledge of the grace of God that has come to us. And we should not be filled with the knowledge of the grace of God and salvation and live a life that does not demonstrate that grace as we relate to others, as we put the resources that God has given us to work in the world. It cannot be that way. The scales must be balance, which means that the understanding here is that a life that is worthy of his calling is a life that's lived in step with this calling. That's aligned with this calling because frankly, sometimes our lives are not aligned with this calling. Sometimes areas of our lives are aligned with this calling and other areas and other compartments of our lives are not aligned. An example of that in the Bible is when we read Galatians chapter 2. When the apostle Paul has an encounter with the apostle Peter in the city of Antioch. And he notices a particular behavior in Peter. That because the church was filled with both Jewish Christians... Jewish people that had come to faith in Jesus and those who did not have a Jewish background, which they called the Gentiles, who had now professed faith in Jesus and were part of the same church, uh, when the apostle Peter went into those gatherings, he would naturally gravitate towards those of the same racial background that he had, which was the fact that he was Jewish, and he would steer away from those who were Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul thinks that is disturbing when he sees that because in his words, look, it's not in step with the truth of the gospel. He says, but when I saw that their conduct, Peter and others, including Barnabas, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What he's saying to him is you are not in step with the truth of the gospel by the way in which you are behaving. You know why, Peter? Because this calling was issued to you when you were undeserving of this call. 
In God's circle, you were an outsider and you were brought in by the grace of Jesus. Jesus exchanged places with you so that you can be brought in. How dare you treat these now new insiders as outsiders of the Christian church? It's out of step with the gospel. And what Peter is struggling here with that the apostle Paul has to reprimand him is something that we all struggle with. You know, there's all these areas in our lives that have been converted to the gospel of Jesus and others that haven't been converted to the gospel of Jesus. That's just the truth of the matter. That in some areas of our lives, the scale is balanced. In some other areas of our lives, the scale is not balanced. So in your spiritual compartment, in the spiritual compartment of your life, you read your Bible and you come to church and you pray and you give and that's aligned to the call that you have received, but your finances is not. The way in which you spend your money is not aligned to that call. You're not a generous person. You're a stingy person. You're a materialistic person. The, the call has not been aligned to your wallet in your pocket, in your bank account. And some of you have had this calling aligned in your finances. You have become a generous person as a result of the knowledge of the gospel in your life, but it hasn't aligned to your workspace. And if you had an employee in this room or a coworker in this room, they would say an amen to that. Say, the Christian version of so-and-so is not the same one of my boss. <laughs> they have a different version when they walk into the room. It's not the same when you step into your house. Your spouse will tell me right now, hey, their Christian version at church is not the same as the one that I get to see every day at the house. Stop elbowing that person right now. Don't do that. Throw them under the bus. And if you are not, listen, here's the idea. If you are not living a life worthy of the calling, you are living beneath the purpose by which God has created you and called you to begin with. The different areas of your life that have not aligned to this calling are beneath its purpose. You can be doing so much in all these different areas of your life, but because it's not aligned to this calling, it's going beneath it. There's so much potential there. So lastly, how can we align ourselves? How can we be in step with this calling? How can we live a life that's worthy of this calling? That again is Paul's desire for that church. It's Jesus's desire for you and I here. How can we do this? How can we do that? Uh, first, you, you must make this calling central to everything that you do in life. You should always be asking this question. If I was called, what does my calling have to do? How does my calling inform this particular problem, this particular area of my life? How does that inform that? If you are a Christian lawyer, how does your calling inform the way in which you practice law? If you are a stay-at-home mom, how does your calling inform the way in which you uh, manage the household and you parent your children? If you have received this calling, how should this calling inform the way in which you ought to treat your spouse? If you have received this calling, how should this calling inform the way in which 
you behave and you carry out your vocation as a member of the body of Christ? How, how does that play out? You must ask this question for every single area of life. How does this calling affect the way in which I express my sexuality? How, how does this calling affect the way in which I express uh, my worth into the world and, and how I spend my money? You should ask this question for every area of your life. And my, my suspicion is that many of us here have not done that in every area of our lives. Even when you are presented with a situation, an opportunity, a problem, if I have been called this way, if, if my calling is a worthy calling because it cost him a lot, if that calling is my new vocation, and if it was issued by God so that I can be living life under his realm, how should that affect the way it's why I respond to this person. When you are criticized by somebody, how does the calling that you have received inform the way in which you respond? Do you push back? Are you aggressive? You're trying to criticize them back? Are you dismissing everything that they say? Does that affect you who you are at the root level that you're depressed? How does that affect you? How do you respond to every situation of life? I want you to think of this calling as a hub to a wheel. And in fact, I was going to bring the front tire of my bike here today to make this illustration work, but I forgot in my garage. I left, uh, you know, thinking about everything I needed to say today, and I was in a hurry, and I forgot it in my garage. I was going to take the tire off of my, my bike and bring it here, because I think that illustrates well. I mean, I want you to picture that tire, because I know your, your mind is, is uh, very powerful, too, and you, you have a gift of imagination that's been given to you by God. So let's see if we can make this illustration work. But think about a tire. At the tire and a tire, you have the hub. The, at the, uh, that hub connects all these different spokes to the outer rim of that tire. And that rim is connected to uh, the rubber, the tire itself. And you need those spokes in order for the tire to have stability, for you to be able to ride in a straight line, for things not to fall apart. I want you to think as this calling, which is the gospel, as the core of that tire. And each spoke being an area of your life that has been converted to the gospel, that provides support for the rest of your life, for the totality of your life, so that you can walk your life in a straight line, axiom, forward without falling to the sides. Now think about this. Let's say if I got a tire and I have all these different spokes, different areas of my life connected to the core, and I, and I bring a, a set of pliers, and I was going to do this here today too. I was going to bring a set of pliers and destroy my tires in front of you. But let's say I, I bring a set of pliers here, and I begin to clip the spokes on one side of the wheel, just on one side of the wheel. Divide the wheel in half, and I'm just clipping those spokes. And then I say, oh, I'm going to put the tire back into my bike, and I'm going to ride it. What's going to happen? It's going to collapse, and I'm going to be, you know, riding wobbly here, and then I probably will fall and, and break a bone or something bad uh, will, will happen. If you even remove a few of those spokes, the, bi the bike loses stability. I think that that's how it works. It loses stability. You know why your life is so wobbly when people look from the outside? Do you know why your, why your life feels so wobbly when you're living it? It's because not all the spokes are connected to the core of your calling, the gospel. You haven't brought the gospel to bear in every area of your life. 
Some areas have been converted. Some areas have not. And it's to the degree that all areas of your life become converted to the gospel that you begin to write on a straight line. There's no wobbliness. There's only stability. That's how it works. It's this idea that you never move away from this central calling. You know, I hear sometimes from Christians and churches, oh, I'm tired of listening to the message of the gospel. We, I wish we could go into deeper things. You can't go into deeper things. You never move away from this core, from this calling. The way in which you grow in your Christian walk is by always returning to the calling to begin with. It's like wedding vows. I, I, I said, like, I, I perform weddings uh, here and there, and, and I tell the couples they're about to get married or the couples that are getting married at the ceremony. says, this is the essence of the ceremony. The essence are the vows. It's not the... Uh, the music, it's not, not even, um, you know, the way in which you guys are dressed. It's not the guests. That's not the essence of this gathering. The essence are the vows that you're about to, to say to one another. It's what's going to connect your changing self to your true self because life does allow us to change. And we do change in life. But what keeps us connected are the vows that we make. And I'll tell you this, and I tell couples this all the time. You know why you're struggling in your marriage right now? Very simple diagnosis, very simple diagnosis. It's because you're not living out your vows. That's it. Why are you struggling in your marriage? Because you guys are not living out your vows. And you want a simple solution so you don't have to go to counseling to figure this out. You have to figure other things out, but you don't have to figure this out. You want to have a healthy marriage, you want to repair your marriage, just start living out your vows. That's it. And sickness and in health. Look, just start living that out. And you'll see a lot of improvement. The way in which we grow as Christians is reminding ourselves of the fact that we were called to begin with, that we were not deserving, that it was issued to us, that it came at a great cost to Jesus Christ. That's the way in which we grow. That's the way in which we align ourselves. That's the way we're able to repair these spokes in our broken tire and connect the core of the gospel, the calling to every single area of our lives. And therefore, we live a life worthy of the gospel. And it's not about trying harder. So stop trying and putting more effort into that. Oh, I can't discipline myself enough. It's not about that. It's about believing more that you were called. You see, our greatest failure in life as Christians is because we forget that we are worthy of his life. That Jesus deemed us worthy enough to give his life for our sake. You forget so much of your worth and that's why these different areas of your life haven't been connected to the gospel. That's why you're not living worthy of the calling that you have received. Let me end with this illustration. I remember several years ago reading this uh, piece in the New York Times. And it was uh, this uh, sociologist that was conducting a research project. And what he did was he visited a lot of high security prisons in the United States. And he interviewed a lot of murderers. He interviewed a lot of murderers, hundreds of them. And he wanted to find uh, something in common in them besides the fact that they killed somebody. And uh, he, he, he asked them this simple question, why did you commit murder? And obviously, you know, um, their response uh, was different in many ways. Uh, you know, they had different backgrounds. They were placed in different situations in life. 
But he says at the core level, the response was the same. And he says the response that was common to all was because I felt disrespected. And he begins to reflect on this idea that they did not have a robust sense of self-worth. Because if you have a robust sense of self-worth and somebody disrespects you, even though the natural response inside of you would be uh, an amount of rage that is so great that you could actually do something horrible with it, but you remind yourself, no, 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 no. They're disrespecting me, but I know that I am a person filled with worth because I am loved by God. I have a loving family. When you begin to preach that to yourself, it talks you out of committing anything crazy. And what she begins to reflect in, you know, next and say that we have the same material that is present in them that could make any of us capable of committing an act like they have because we all struggle with a sense of self-worth. And placing us in a situation that's similar to them would maybe lead you and I to do some of the same things that they have done. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you here? Is because you forget your sense of self-worth, because you don't preach to yourself this calling that you have received enough that you end up living this reckless life. But it's to the degree that you remind yourself and you acknowledge that your problem is not because you're not trying hard enough, it's because you don't believe deep enough that you live the life that you live. And that if you were to live a life that's uh, deeply rooted in this calling that you have received, it would begin to replicate in the different areas of your life. And you would begin to move forward in a life that is worthy of his calling. And so my challenge to you today are the same words that Captain Miller said to Ryan in light of everything that was said earn it earn it will you pray with me father uh, we come to you acknowledging that many of us here today are living beneath our purpose because our lives are not worthy of the calling in which we have received. And therefore, Father, my prayer to this community, to every individual here that is starting off this fall semester is, are the same words of the Apostle Paul. My prayer to them is that you would make them, that you would do your work through your spirit, that you would make them. It's your doing. It's your work. It's, it's your spirit that is speaking into their hearts right at this very moment. I'm praying that you would do this work, that you would make them worthy, in line, in step with the calling that they have received from you. That is our desire here today as we wrap up our time together 
is that, uh, Father, we would be a church, we would be a community that would live worthy of the calling that we have received. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you stand and let's, let's worship this God who is worthy of our praise, who is worthy of our honor, who is worthy of all the glory. He is worthy. He is worthy.